You're listening to the Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. Hi, and welcome to the Crosscheck NHL Show. Thanks for making the Crosscheck NHL Show your very first listen. I'm here with Mary Clark. My name is Andrew Berkshire. You can follow us on Twitter at Andrew Berkshire and at Mary C. Clark. And while you're at it, why don't you throw the show a follow as well, Crosscheck NHL on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast everywhere that you can find podcasts. We've got a great show for you today on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're going to talk about the Canucks because the Vancouver Canucks were supposed to be talked about on the last show, but we got some breaking news in the middle of our last segment and we decided to clip it and uh, move on. So we're going to talk about the Canucks because nothing's really changed for them. Just another maybe embarrassing thing to talk about uh, with a meeting between the owner and the general manager announced by uh, Elliot Friedman a couple days ago. And we've also got to talk about Bowen Byram of the Colorado Avalanche. A great story was posted to The Athletic by Peter Baugh. And uh, we're going to talk about his issues that he's dealt with over the last season and a half here. And then we're going to wrap it all up with talking about the disappearance of power plays in the NHL and what's going on. And I know we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about Connor McDavid, but we've got to dig into the whole power play situation and what's going on with the NHL's officiating over the last several seasons. How's it going, Mary? Let's uh, get into this right away, I suppose, because <laughs> there's not much that happens during the week for us. Uh, we don't really have much. How is your weekend going in the middle yeah. of the week? Yeah, yeah, we always talk about this. The Thursday episodes always seem to be we get we get more right to it because there's less days in between that we talk that we don't talk to each other. Because you know, over the weekend we're you know we do a lot of stuff. But I'm good. Not much is happening. Uh, today is my Friday. It is. It is. Um, I'm happy and busy. Uh, so just got, like I said, like I keep saying, I've got a lot of stuff. Uh, so I'm like at that point where I'm like juggling a whole bunch of um, like a like. I'm just juggling a whole bunch of things, so hopefully I've scheduled everything properly and everything works out fine. Uh, so I just, I, you know, hope I don't end up, you know, accidentally missing something. But overall, we're we're good. It's just a busy time of year, but today's my Friday, so I'm going to, you know, do all I can to work today and then enjoy my couple of days off over the weekend. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in somewhat looking forward to the weekend, but uh, I'm also not because... I don't get to relax during the day. It's just all entertain the kids time. So that's it's fun. Yeah. But if you don't have something to do, they get bored really fast, especially if it's not nice out. So hopefully we have some decent weather this weekend. But unfortunately, I think it's all rain. It's rainy again mm. today. It's been rainy a lot in November in Montreal, unfortunately. Is that normal? Yeah, somewhat. I feel like it's rainier than usual this fall. We haven't really had much like nice fall weather, to be honest. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's better than snow, but not by much, you know. Have you had any snow yet not so yet, far no. up there? Not yet. Okay, we haven't here yet. So. Usually, I mean, it's it's less likely we get it here, but sometimes we've gotten it on like Halloween just for like a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that happens once in a while here. Usually, we don't get snow that sticks here until December. Like especially in mm -hmm. recent years, we've had very little snow until even like Christmas. But uh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we get a little bit for Christmas this year, but I'm fine with snow not coming around until then. I'm, I'm not a fan of shoveling. I always think it looks prettier when it snows, but it's a lot more work, especially when you own a car. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, the Vancouver Canucks are in major, major trouble. They're 5-10-2 coming into uh, their next game here, second to last in the Pacific. It's 
not a pretty scene. But the main thing isn't even their record. It's that they look lost out there. They are allowing goals like crazy. And <laughs> there was huge pushback online about this Elliot Friedman announcement that ownership Francesco Aquilini is meeting with Jim Benning to figure out what's wrong with the team. And the absolute avalanche of I think you should leave references from the hot dog sketch where they're like, we're trying to find the guy who did this was hilarious to the point where in 31 or I guess 32 thoughts now, uh, Elliot Friedman pointed out that he saw, yes, the hundreds and hundreds of people posting the hot dog meme. I think everybody is pretty much in agreement right now that what's wrong with the team is the way that they were constructed. And the fact is the GM has had no accountability for a very long time here. And despite the Canucks having decent pieces, this team is a mess. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Steve Dangle said on one of uh, like the, his podcasts recently that uh, NHL GMs have the safest job in the league. In Canada. Like, for some reason. And yeah. And for some reason, like it is like they're absolved of all wrongdoing, at least in Canada. Why? I don't know. I'm not sure what the difference is between like why Canada holds on to their GMs for as long as they do. But you know, Jim Benning should have been out the door years ago. Yes. Uh, and he's the he's the sole reason why this team is in the position it's in. Uh, they gutted, like, some of their, you know, depth from last year. Um, what did, did they have Jacob Markstrom, or am I just misremembering that they completely? Did. Was he on the yes. Canucks? Okay. Had, like, and Jacob Markstrom is tearing... There. Yeah, and he was tearing it up right now with Calgary. I just wanted to make sure because my memory sometimes does these things where I completely forget things that have happened and the pandemic has made it worse. Um, but yes, they, you know, didn't re-sign Jacob Markstrom and now he's tearing it up in Calgary. And um, I don't know, we'll probably get to this a little bit later, but poor Thatcher Demko is taking an absolute beating in that um, uh, he had let up, what, I think seven goals and then six goals in back-to-back games, something to that extent. It was not great. It really wasn't. I mean, I don't think he's completely, he's not at fault here. I think he's just kind of the victim of the Canucks' complete mess. But it's hard not to wonder what the um, Canucks would kind of look like if they still had Markstrom, because I know he had like a couple, like he had like a down season, I believe, last year, but he's really turned it up this year in Calgary. So that has to sting if you're a Canucks fan and you're seeing, uh, you know, a Canadian rival in the Flames having so much success with the goal that you previously had and kind of thought you were going to have for a little while, I would assume. So it's just, it's a complete mess with the Canucks organization right now. And I feel bad for, you know, the young kids who are so exciting, like Elias Patterson and Brock Besser are fantastic players. They just have not looked like themselves this year. Until a, more recently, but I think they're now back on cold streaks again. So it's it's been really disappointing. I don't want to say it's surprising because I think we both called the Canucks taking a step back this year. Yeah. But it is it's disappointing. It really is. I had I had hopes for this team. They seem to be a fun young team on the rise, and then they just made so many moves that were that weren't great and just hamstrung them to the cap. And now they're paying the price because the team just looks completely disjointed and doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, I know. I think we talked about in like all of our preseason content, the Canucks and how much last year got placed at the foot of the COVID outbreak and the compressed season really doing them in. They don't have that excuse this year, right? So I think everyone kind of expected 
a lot more cohesion and a little bit of growth. And I think it's fair to say that Leas Pedersen's start to the season has really thrown them for a loop. But that's kind of on them as well, because they could have got that contract done at any point in the in the offseason, like him and Hughes. And I know Hughes has missed time as well, which obviously hurts. But at a certain point, you have to look at why is everything taking until the very last second to get done? Right. And why is it such a hard deal to to get our best players signed? Why do we have to nickel and dime here instead of not signing these awful veterans that we thought would work out? Like the Vancouver Canucks priorities are just terrible. And they, yeah. they kind of remind me a little bit of the Edmonton Oilers in that they've made some really, really nice hits in the first round. And that's it. Yeah. Right? And their team construction around the player, the really good players they should be building around is incorrect. Yes. It's wrong. Like they, like, I mean, we, we all bemoaned the Oliver Ekman Larson deal. Um, like why, why would you like, you know, trade away all those assets and get back a guy with a, like a really, really bad contract. Well, I wouldn't say like, that what they traded were assets. It was just that what they did was they moved away a bunch of salary for this year. And I think maybe a bit of next year to bring in what they thought would be a higher impact player for the same salary, but on a terrible deal that lasts a really long time. So it was like moving out short-term pain for long-term pain. And it, I understood the idea of it, but Ekman Larson's play had really fallen off to such a ridiculous extent that now they've got like, Ekman Larson, Tyler Myers, Travis Hamanick, Tucker Pullman. These are all players who are objectively not good anymore. You know, and I think mm -hmm. Ekman Larson, there was more possibility that he could be better. Because we'd seen it in the yes. past that he was really good on a terrible coach. But it's a gigantic gamble, a gigantic gamble. And then whenever you see people yeah. criticizing like Quinn Hughes and like, oh, he's not living up to his potential. Like, look at what he has to carry on that defense court. Like, I know it's crazy, it's terrible, and it's not even cheap. It's so bad. Like I think you can look at like the Montreal Canadiens, right? And their defense core is as bad, or maybe even worse than than uh, the Vancouver Canucks is right now, like today. But they're signed for less term and less money. You know, like their Oliver Ekman Larson version is not signed for seven million dollars. It's like three and a half. You know, Tyler Myers. Like, let's see that. Let's say that the Canadians, David Savard is their Tyler Myers. He signed for 3.5, not 6. So, like, even on another team that's really struggling and has very little, like, uh, positives to point out to, they're not in as bad of a situation as the Canucks because they're just not as stuck to everything, right? And even the Canucks even made some good moves in the offseason. Like, Connor Garland, that was a great move. But you have to do more. And unfortunately they're too stuck to too many really rough players and they don't have much flexibility to get things done either. Like it's, it's a sad situation, but aside from yeah, just the roster a... construction, you know, we've, we've talked about the hope that Travis green would be like a great coach in the making, right? How many years do you give Travis green where he's a up and coming coach but the underlying numbers are abysmal, 
before we say he's part of the problem. Yeah, that I was that's one of the things I had on this is, you know, who gets fired first. Uh but I was going to say you make a good point about uh this Canuck situation feeling much like the Peter Chiarelli years of the Oilers. Um that they had this talent and then just mismanaged their cap situation with, you know, bad talent evaluation uh to point where it, the the Oilers were just uh, I mean they were a running joke for a very long time about how all their first round picks like either you know were good like McDavid and stuff like that or were just complete failures um and then the team that they built around them was just terrible it's the narrative has shifted now that the Oilers are better obviously they still have to you know win playoff series for you know the narrative to really I guess shift around them but you know they've they've been able to get out of this hole but you're right in that how much leash do the Canucks give Travis Green and will he be the first coach fired this season is I think my biggest question because that's always uh you know if you're looking at putting bets on things that's always I guess one of the more popular ones as to who the first um, head coach is fired um I could absolutely see Travis Green being fired and uh well you know Jeremy one of those, was also I'm, already fired right so he's the first um uh, you're forgets right it's about Chicago because nobody wants to talk about them anymore right you're right okay so I guess the second, <laughs> second head coach head fired coach. well uh, it yeah it's still interesting though because you usually get a rush of firings in like the fall before I want to say maybe Christmas. I feel like um, the year before the pandemic season, we got a whole bunch of head coaches uh, fired. Though, to be fair, a lot of that was, you know, Bill Peters with the Akimalu stuff. Um, the Dallas head coach, whose name I can't remember right now. Rick Bonus. Rick Bonus. Um, yeah, there was a, and um, I believe Mike Babcock too. So there was like, oh, I oh, think maybe that's like, just, fired. that was, no, yeah, that else. was just that whole, yeah, that was that whole, like, couple of months where there were so many firings and maybe and not all of them were directly related to hockey uh the team's performance yeah. yeah the team's performance but it still seems like we get a lot of firings before christmas do you think do you so, think mary that we've seen less coach firings over the last little stretch here because of covid i think that's a possibility right because i mean i really go, do like if you're bringing in somebody outside the organization then there's like the quarantining it's also a kind of a terrible thing to do. I like as an outside perspective to, you know, fire someone in the middle of a pandemic yes, is that's true. someone who lost her job during the middle of the pandemic. I completely understand that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's just from an outside hockey perspective. I don't know if that actually influences, you know, uh, ownerships like and general managers decisions on things. But I think it definitely like COVID itself has played a factor. It is. um Part of it might be they don't want to give up on certain coaches because they think that the COVID, like the results during the COVID times, maybe just, you know, not a mirage necessarily, but impacted by outside forces and stuff like that. So maybe they want to give their head coaches a chance. So I think that I think you make a really good point about that, but I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see more head coaches go this year because we're at least back into a sim like a more normal and I was using quote air quotes in that instance. Uh, we're back in a more normal year, but I could definitely see Travis Green being the second coach fired. I probably should have remembered Chicago exists as an organization. No they're kind of a black. <laughs> they're they're a complete black hole in my head right now. But I I think it's very possible that it happens 
I don't want to say before American Thanksgiving because that's in a week. Uh, but I think it's coming sooner than rather than later. And I have a habit of jinxing these things because as we've as we've seen, at least on the last episode, we talked about the senators and their you know, the NHL's not gonna postpone them and then they got postponed. So uh I I hope Canucks fans are listening here because I'm known to be a very a jinx in this regard. So I'm hoping that my words reach you and you guys get uh the justice you so deserve for your team. So, but I think Travis Green will be the first to go before Jim Benning because I still think that that this this he's just gonna keep going, isn't he? Like, what's it gonna take at this I, point? I honestly don't know. It, I mean, this season this season has to be a complete tire fire for to for him to be gone. It ha- like it it has to reach like terrible, absolute bottom tier levels. What I find um, hilarious is the people who are retweeting the Vancouver Canucks tweet from like 2014. It was like uh, when Jim Benning took over and it was like, I really like this team. I think we'll be able to turn this thing around in two years. (laughs) It's like, it's been seven. Yeah. I mean, Twitter, Twitter comes for us all in terms of, you know, bringing, bringing up our, uh, bad takes from years past uh so i i understand there but yeah i it's gonna be it's gonna take a lot for jim benning to have to to get the boot because ownership really seems to stand by him and it's the completely wrong move uh the the canucks organization won't go won't move forward if they still have jim benning as their as their gm they need like a full style change at the top um so the they can, you know, cut some guys off their roster and, you know, actually build a competitive team. Because I think you can. I don't think this is unsalvageable here. I think that there there are avenues for the Canucks to take. I mean, this year I think is a lost cause. Yes, of course. Because yeah. you put your you put yourself in a major hole, and it's very difficult to get out of. But I think they can salvage, you know, the best years of Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and Quinn Hughes. Uh, but they have to make moves now to get out from under it yeah they do. so we'll see if they do yeah you have to act quickly or it's going to get much worse but they don't see it that way for whatever reason i think my hope i'm kind of feeling the opposite is what you are because whenever a gm or coach is given the uh like the vote of confidence like the whole meeting with aquilini like oh it's not about uh changing gms it's just about you know finding out what's gone wrong and when that happens and Aquilini will come out and say, like, oh, yeah, we're standing by our GM. That is the kiss of death. Oh. That is the kiss yeah, of like death. Yeah, like with um, it's almost, what, Montreal, Boston, that's happened it to It happens them. so yeah. often. Every single time they're like, I'm standing by this person. It's like two weeks later. Two weeks later, they'll be gone. So, so I, I think. So maybe it's not my jinx. Maybe it's just, you know, the curse of the, of the, owner, you know, or the GM of the owner meeting and their vote of confidence. Yeah, I think that what's going to happen is Benning is going to get fired maybe before the holidays and then you Travis Green will first. finish out the season, but the new GM will have his, his own coach by the next season. Mm. That's what I think is going to happen. But you know what? If I, you, just, I think the Canucks are too stuck in their ways. They are. But. They are. But if you are thinking about, you know, who's going to get fired first, the GM or the coach, why don't you head over to bet online and place a bet on it? Bet online is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new and updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. 
From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, Mary. So we've got no guest this week because I was too out of it this week to uh, get on it in time to book someone. But I. It's okay. I mean, I was busy too, so we we can both share the blame here. You do not need to, you know, throw yourself in front of the well, bus. Well, it, it's too late. Here. I'll I'll throw it out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this week, but uh, we I did read a really excellent article in The Athletic from Peter Baugh about Bowen Byram, and I don't know if you got a chance to read it, because I know I sent it to you this morning, uh, not long before we started the podcast, but it was about the concussion issues and also dealing with COVID-19 last season, and it leads into what's been going on this season. Now, uh, Bowen Byram, if you don't know, is a fourth overall pick of the Colorado Avalanche, I believe he was the pick that they got from the Matt Deshane trade. And that's why it was so high. It was, I think it was like the Ottawa Senators pick in like the Duchesne for, and they ended up getting like Gerard and Bowen Byram out of this trade where they gave up Duchesne, which is completely absurd. But anyway, a really high end talent. And last season was struggling in the, uh, in his first season in the, in the NHL was concussed, kind of came back feeling all right, got concussed again almost immediately and really, really struggled to get back to his normal self. And then right as he was starting to feel better, caught COVID-19 and the fallout from that basically took him all through the summer. It's been a rough rough stretch for Bowen Byram, but the story is incredible and I encourage everyone to read it because one thing really stuck out to me was he was, he considered himself healthy and was cleared to play in the playoffs, but Jared Bednar of the Colorado Avalanche, their head coach kept him out because he didn't feel like he was ready to play in the physicality of the playoffs. And then after the playoffs ended, he was upset because he act, he wanted to play. He got had to watch his team get eliminated from the press box. But shortly after the playoffs ended, his symptoms returned. And he was saying how he realizes it was the right decision now. But it took him essentially all summer going to therapy, uh, working with personal trainers, and going on like a, an excursion with his father out into the wilderness to finally get his mind right. And they talked about how he's a very happy-go-lucky conversational guy who likes to joke around with everyone. And he just lost that side of himself for months. And personally, I think these kinds of stories really need to be told more often in the NHL so that people start taking head injuries a lot more seriously. Yeah, I mean, concussions are no joke. We've mentioned it before. We've talked, you know, about the... the concussion lawsuit the nhl was facing like it is it's legitimately no joke it's it can ruin your life and it's so disappointing to saddening to hear you know stories like this um of young people who lose their ability to do a lot of things that they were able to do before just because they have head injuries and they just don't feel like themselves or they're you know nauseous and have headaches all the time and it's just it's it absolutely sucks to hear and you know reading that piece because i was able to get to it before we recorded today just having like 
seeing like his concussions, like him getting concussions and then be like, okay, this is it. This is my time. Then he gets COVID. Then he gets another concussion. Uh, then he's apparently out this season too, or at least he, you know, he played a little bit this season, but now he, he took another elbow to the head and is, I believe, also out for a while. So it just, it, I, I completely relate to the, you know, you think you're about to stand up and, you know, keep moving forward, but uh, then you get knocked back down and take a million steps back. I completely understand that. So it was definitely a story that like hit home for me. Obviously, I've never had a concussion in my life, but I understand the like, you, you think you're finally starting to move forward and, you know, take steps on your journey. Uh, but life is like, nope. And then just pulls you right back yeah. out. So uh, it, it is a, it's a. It's definitely a really enlightening piece, not a like a super happy one no, no. Uh, because of the the subject matter, but it really enlightening. Um, it was neat that his mother drove like what seventeen hours uh, to get to him in you know Colorado, going to the border and being like, "Here, I have a note. I'm coming to help my son." And I'm like, "Oh, that's so sweet and so sad." Um, so it was just it was a really really neat piece. So, so I definitely. Um, definitely read it if you have you know an athletic subscription and they're giving their subscriptions away for free it feels like all the time or at least on you know like on sale or whatever so yeah definitely read it it's definitely a very enlightening piece on you know byram's uh career so far in the nhl um and it's a shame that he's out again because he was kind of tearing it up a bit um that means he's a defenseman so he's not going to put up like all the points in the world but he had Three goals and five assists in 11 games. So he was nearly a point-per-game player. Yeah, I think that's the thing is it was so close to being an uplifting piece about, you know, (laughs) waiting and taking things slowly and doing things right. And you have to give so much credit to Byram and the Colorado Avalanche organization. And Nathan McKinnon was mentioned in there that McKinnon actually paid his own personal trainer to work with Byram during last season to kind of help him get out of this. And that's really cool. That's like as much as we make fun of McKinnon over the whole uh, diet uh, thing. A food, yeah, his food. Like stuff. it does seem like he really genuinely cares for his teammates, and that's really awesome to do that for a rookie. That's leadership. We all have our quirks. Yes, to be 100%. fair, we all have our quirks. And the thing is, elite athletes are going to have weird things. You know, like this is especially. True. I mean, about the, diet. the Tom Brady, Tom Brady, and never eating a strawberry. It, there, there are always people out I feel there like, like that. The list with so. Tom Brady is very long. <laughs> But yeah, that's fair. I just know that's the most famous example. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like we have to point out that Nathan McKinnon clearly supported this uh, this young rookie and helped him get forward. But then it goes into this like, and he has this breakout game just a week or two ago now, yeah, November third. So it's two weeks ago, and right after that, in the game against the Canucks, oddly enough, he takes an <laughs> accidental elbow in the head, and the next day he feels okay. But the day after that, it's like back to dizzy and not feeling himself. And that is so tragic. And I really hope yeah. that it doesn't end up being a situation where each one is worse than the last. Because I know that's something that happens often with concussions. And I hope that he can get back at it sooner than that. But the Colorado Avalanche said that there's no timetable for return. And I, I love the way that they're handling it because they know how serious this is. And they don't want him to jeopardize his career because like you read through the piece. And at one point in the summer, he called his mom and said that he thought he was going to retire. He's 20. I know. It's crazy. He's 20 years old. It's so tragic. His life hasn't even, his life has barely started. It's, it, it, uh, 
it i'm rooting for bone byram now absolutely 100 percent. i mean you know i i'm i'm you know a nice person i'd like to think i root for a lot of cool stories in the nhl but i'm absolutely rooting for bone byram now after yes 100 like, dude's a dude's an absolute um he, he deserves his chance in the nhl he really does and he he's had it and then it got snatched away from um um from concussions which are really i wish they were uh, like more avoidable in this sport it's such a it's such a upsetting part of being a sports fan is the physical damage um and you know also emotional damage that um these players go through for our entertainment and i mean hockey culture is all wrapped up in that too of you know playing through pain Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but you know it is it's still a i think you said it right it's a tragic story i hope he gets his chance i hope he realizes that there's a lot of people out there rooting for him and that you know he'll he won't go back down that mental spiral and that he's at least in a better place mentally that he can recover um and be himself again yeah in short order because the, the nhl will be a better place with him in it he already seems like he's he's got really awesome like a really awesome talent so i really i mean he's only played it seems like 30 games total in the nhl so we really haven't seen much of him yeah so and I, there was a great quote from his mom in this story where she on the call where Byron was saying that he was feeling like he can't play anymore. And she said like, just because you're injured now doesn't mean you always will be. And just, uh, it's clear that he has a really good support structure. And I hope for him, the fact that he's made it out will keep him from getting as down as he was at the worst of it, you know? And he just seems like such a happy guy that you hope that he can get back there as quickly as possible. But at the same time, you want them to take every possible precaution so that this doesn't happen to him ever again. It's such a, it's such a scary thing. And you can tell like his teammates are upset about it as well. And eight points in 11 games so far this season, he was really starting to look like the guy that they drafted to be a a big difference maker. And I hope he can get back there. This is uh, it's a sad story, but at the same time, a, an endearing story. And obviously, everyone is rooting for Bo Byram right now. Yeah. Do we want to touch on the, um, the Avalanche just in general a little bit before we, you know, move on? Because um, they've had a little bit of an upswing. Yes, I mean, they they've have. Won three straight games. They've won three straight games um, after you know a really disappointing start to the season. We never really got to talk about the Avalanche because there's been so much stuff but we have tossed around the idea back and forth at least uh, since a week ago because we we had mentioned it last week in our um in our you know dms trying to you know decide what we were going to talk about but um you know other hockey things have gotten our attention but the avalanche have been kind of disappointing this season but it's good to see them on a three game upswing um so maybe this is the start of them you know moving forward but they also have had a lot of injuries too which haven't which haven't helped their they game. have and also i don't think anybody expected darcy kemper to be one of the worst goalies in the league this season now he's been much yeah. better his last seven starts he has 930 save percentage and that's you know not a fair thing to expect going forward but closer to what the avalanche expected this year nazim kadri's also been red hot lately uh, i'm just reading off a tweet mm-hmm. from Peter Baugh, who wrote the article on Bowen Byram, 11 points in his last five games for Kadri, and apparently the Avalanche are undefeated this year with Valerie Nikushkin in the lineup. So it seems like things are starting to come together for them a little bit, and I think uh, Dom Lucision still has them as the favorites to win the Stanley Cup this year. So despite... I mean, they're only three points out of the wild card, yeah. and, the, and 
like their division is a uh, kind of a mess. Um, so it is. It's 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 all up in the air. I mean, Winnipeg is in first in the Central, which is wild to me. But you've got a team like Nashville, who nobody, I don't think anybody was expecting to be really competing this year. They are third in the central so there's there's room for colorado to climb i mean they've got arizona and chicago in the basement and they're gonna stay in the basement this year but i think that there is room for them to move up um as long as you know a team like nashville i assume will take a step back because i i don't know i don't think that they're i don't think that they're all that good but that is just my opinion. But, I mean, even St. Louis, too, who I was pretty high on, they've lost three straight. So there's room for the Avalanche to make moves, and I think they're too talented overall to miss the playoffs. It's I, I know we kind of you know said it's basically too late for uh, the Canucks, uh, but it's still like the Avalanche are still in it. Yeah, I mean, in there's a opinion. big gap between what – we can expect from the Avalanche going forward and what we can expect from the Canucks going yeah, forward. And exactly. at least despite the results so far, the underlying numbers back the Avalanche as still being a very strong team. So the fact that they're even looking like they're putting it together, I think it's very easy to look at that and say they're going to do fine, you know? So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, we'll we'll move on from that and take a short break. And right after that, we're going to talk about the whole situation in the NHL with power plays and what's going wrong with the NHL's officiating scheme right after this. All right. So Mary, a lot of this conversation is tied to Connor McDavid and we talked about it last show when uh, John Tortorella told him to shut up essentially, which we clearly disagreed with (laughs) despite it being fantastic content. Yes. But this is, a pet peeve of mine, something that I've been trying to talk about for like five years now, at least. Power plays are disappearing in the NHL, and it's not just a single season or a season here and there where there's less power play opportunities. The last nine seasons in the NHL are the nine least penalized seasons in the history of the game. That should be out there on headlines every single day. Like that is crazy to me because scoring isn't that up, you know, like it's up a little bit because the players are getting better and things are trending towards offense overall. But still the last three seasons heading into this one are three of the only seasons in NHL history where the average team is, or the average game has fewer than six goals per game last year was actually the lowest scoring game i know hold on no okay last this year and last year i'm messing this up i apologize this year and last year were the two lowest scoring seasons since 2016-17 after a little bit of an uptick in 2018-19 and 2017-18 so we are trending downwards again in goal scoring i was looking at power play opportunities before but uh, the last three seasons, not cl- including this one, are the only seasons outside of uh, 2016-17 in NHL history where there's fewer than six power plays per game between both teams. The average in NHL history is around eight. So the idea that we're in an if we increase power plays, it's going to be like oh, too many power plays, too much power play scoring is completely absurd. And I've seen a lot of arguments about like, oh, well, you know, power play scoring is boring anyway. It's not just about power play scoring. 
when you call more infractions, the game opens up at even strength too, because players realize they can't cheat. And there are some people who believe that like, oh, maybe it's just the cleanest that the game has ever been. Uh, watch the games. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Maybe there's fewer dirty hits, but the, the difference is that players just cheat differently. Right? Yeah. Players adjust and cheat differently. And what you have to do then is adjust how you officiate. We're in the era of not only is there very few penalties, but everything is about game management, right? Like I watched a game yeah. last week where in the first period they called like everything, everything that even looked like a penalty. And then in the third period, nothing was a penalty. Guys were like jumping on each other's backs and nothing got called. And it was like, if the, if in the same game players don't know what is and isn't a penalty, how can we ever fault them for taking a penalty? And I'm trying to figure out the rationale here from the NHL because this is a this is a direct NHL mandate to call the games the way they're being called. I mean, we talked about it before, um, back when um, who was it? Which referee is the one that got caught on the hot mic? Tim Peel. He got to Tim Peel. Oh, yeah. quietly let Famous go. Famous Tim Peel. Yes, uh, we talked about this uh, back then that this is a that you know this is a direct mandate from the NHL and that they want their games to be called this way. I cannot figure out why they want games to be called this way. It's infuriating from all angles. Scoring is down. Games are not fun. I mean, they're fast, but I don't know why the NHL would want games to be fast when more penalties would probably mean more advertising time for them. At least for like commercials, I I mean it's not gonna like equate that always, but maybe you get one or two more commercials in there like during broadcast. Like I'm not I'm I'm not sure what the NHL's game is here. Maybe I'm just ignorant on commercials and stuff. But that was one of the thoughts I had. I was like, why is I know the NHL wants their games to be like pretty pretty quick, but like they're they're really quick now. Why can't we just you know add a few more penalties into it? The game would be better overall. You're right, the game would open up more at even strength because teams are cheating less. Um, and you know in trying not to commit penalties and put their team in a bad spot. I think you also make a good point that uh, dirty hits have gone down. We've really seen less dirty plays um, than we have in the past. And while they don't necessarily equate like with penalties and stuff like that, it's penalties in general just should be going up because players are very good at, you know, cheating in different ways and committing penalties in ways that don't draw the referee's attention. So I just I'm I just don't know why the NHL is focused on calling games the way they are because you're right everything gets called in the first and then nothing gets called in the third and no one's happy the players aren't happy things are being called coaches aren't happy things are being called fans aren't happy things are being called I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure why the NHL is doing this do you have any possible explanation Andrew or am I just shouting at the wind here I I honestly think that the NHL and hockey culture in general believes that the players who are mega talented need to put up with more and show that they're like tough enough to play through stuff. I think we saw it with Sidney Crosby when he was breaking into the league. Like I remember it was like his second or third game in the league. It was a game against the Philadelphia Flyers. And at one point Darian Hatcher just like cross checked him in the face and snapped his two front teeth. And there was no call. And the ref was like in full view, saw it. And Crosby was like, what? And they were like, get out of here. <laughs> like, Don't care. And everyone called Crosby a whiner. But like he was absolutely brutalized his first few years in the league. And just nothing got called on him. And if you look at 
a website like Evolving Hockey, right? And you can go all the way back to 20, 2007, 2008. That's how far their archive goes. And you can look at who was drawing penalties the most each season. Like you can separate it out each season, right? How many of the top 50 players in the league over that time do you think, like single seasons, drawing the most penalties per 60 minutes played, how many of them do you think are Connor McDavid? Because oh. there's lots of talk, right, about like, oh, well, Connor McDavid draws a lot of calls, so he shouldn't complain. He he, he draws enough. How many do you think are Connor McDavid of the top 50? Oh, boy. Um, less than five. Zero. I Zero? zero. I guess that makes sense. I was going to say zero, and I'm like, it can't be zero. So I hedged my bets. Hedge wrong. Yep. Completely wrong. How many do you think in the top That's 100 are McDavid? Probably also zero. Also zero. Or, yep. Yeah. Which is insane, right? Now, yes. if you look at the players who drew the most penalties per, like, per 60 minutes, and I put the limit in each season at 300 minutes, which is a little bit low, but I wanted to include players who aren't in the lineup every single day. So single seasons, most penalty minutes drawn. The top players in the league, Patrick Coletta, 08-09. Patrick Coletta, 09-10. Patrick Coletta, 12-13. Tom Wilson, 14-15. Derek Dorsett, 08-09. Dan Carcillo, 09-10. Sean Avery, 08-09. Steve Downey, 09-10. Dan Carcillo, 07-08. Darcy Hordachuk, 09-10, Derek Dorsett, 09-10. And then it's Sean Avery, Dustin Brown, Ryan Jones, William Carrier, Nazem Kadri. Finally, a star player, Sidney Crosby at 17 and 07, 08. The most common denominator here is most of these players are cheap shot artists. Like, why are they the ones drawing the most penalties? And the answer is that the NHL does not punish the first play. They punish the retaliation. And this is a problem. A huge friggin' problem. Everybody likes the agitator on their own team. Of course. Because they get those calls. But why on earth would you reward players who go out there whose main goal is to either frustrate or hurt people enough so that they respond in kind? It doesn't make sense why are we rewarding that behavior the players who should draw the most calls are the players who are interfered with the most the players who are kept from doing their job those are the mcdavids the crosbys the best players in the league the barzals who outskate players the nathan mckinnons the guys that players can't keep up with and that's not who draws calls like chris neal is one of the players who's drawn the most calls in this top 50 list. Yarko Rutu, Zach Stortini. You know, the most recent player on here for drawing a lot of calls is like Matt Kachuk for like among star players. Like, of course, yeah, Matt Kachuk, also an agitator, but also a very good player. It drives me nuts that this is how we officiate in hockey that these are the players that we give the benefit of the doubt to and not the star players. Why would any sport be in a position where you want to limit your best players? It doesn't make sense. Think about the product. Mm -hmm. And you have the complete opposite in like sports like the NFL, where they're completely protective over quarterbacks um, and 
you know, that there's, I guess it's just interesting to me that, you know, the NHL is the complete opposite of that. They don't seem to want to, you know, protect their stars in that, you know, they don't want to call penalties. Uh, like they don't want them to like call penalties when they draw them. Uh, but the NFL is completely different in that if you breathe on a quarterback, it's a penalty. So it's just, it's two completely different styles of refereeing and both have their pluses and minuses. I mean, obviously we talked a lot about the minuses for the NHL, but you know, I see a lot of NFL fans complaining about, you know, um, like how the um, NFL protects quarterbacks and stuff like that. But it's just, that's just an interesting insight to me, but there, there has to be more in the NHL. We have to, the, like, it just isn't fun. The game isn't fun when stars are getting brutalized out there and nothing is being called. And it just, it it makes the game frustrating to watch. It's not as fun. I mean, power plays are inherently fun. It's scoring chances. I, I don't understand why people say power plays, like, they're, they're, they're not fun or they aren't real scoring. They're, like, two minutes of concentrated scoring chances and opportunities and you can even get scoring chances the other way too i mean shorthanded goals are exist for a reason yeah so like it just it i don't understand why people think that power plays aren't good for the game i get not wanting the games to be super long and not disrupting the flow of the game but at this point you kind of have to like it's just it's getting to a point where it's too much it's we need to swing the pendulum back the other 100 percent, we do and it it doesn't mean we need to have like 10 power plays a game but we do need to get back to the normal area of nhl history right we we can't just pretend that because certain plays are no longer as common in the game that we just we fixed it it's good nobody's taking penalties anymore like we talked I guess it was a couple years ago now about when they started to cut down on slashing. And I think it was been, I think it was like the Calgary flames account on Twitter posted like a compilation video of Johnny Gaudreau taking slashes and they cut down on slashing for like maybe half a season. Right. And now it's the same every year. It's the same thing every year. They do one thing. They cut down on it in October maybe November, and then everything gets loosey-goosey, and then the playoffs are a free-for-all. They talked about cutting down on cross-checking this year. I don't think they've done that much of that either. Like, a lot of stuff still gets let go. Yeah, yeah, and it's just... It's disappointing. Like, and this is the way the NHL wants the games to be called. There's nothing to fix here in their minds. This is just how they want it to be called, and I'm not sure what it will take... I mean, outside of maybe more players speaking up about it and, like, actually, like, really banding together about it. But the players don't have a lot of power when it comes to making decisions in the NHL. Uh, I mean, we've seen it with the lockouts and how little power they have. So I have no idea how this could possibly change. I mean, maybe one way you do it is, uh, I mean, we talked about Gary Bettman retiring, being let go for, you know, all the Chicago stuff. Maybe if, you know, a new voice comes in, new voices come in at the top, they, you know, trickle down that message of, you know, wanting more penalties drawn by star players. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the only way I think this could possibly change. There needs to be different people in charge. I mean, yeah, exactly. uh, To bring it all back to McDavid a little bit. And this is not just about McDavid. It's about everyone. It's just that he's the most glaring example. McDavid's highest penalty drawing season at even strength was 2016-17. He drew 1.87 penalties per 60 minutes played. That ranks him 
190th since 0708 for a single season. 190th. It's just, it's so bad. It's so bad. It just, it I, makes I, no I sense. It makes no sense. Yeah, whatsoever. it makes no sense. It makes no sense, but that's the NHL. Yeah. It makes no sense. Like, and what that's, has that's changed since like 2010 in the league so that there's fewer calls? You know what I mean? Like, I understand that there's fewer calls than, say, the 2005 2006 season because that was a huge uptick brought on by calling interference for once. That makes sense that there was a drop from there. But that increase in penalties, like in the 0304 season, the dead puck era, right? There were 4.24 power plays per game per team. That jumped up to 5.85 in 0506. Huge difference, right? So, like between two teams, that's essentially an extra three power plays per game. The following season, it dropped down to 4.85. So, a whole power play per team per game was gone the next season. Give the benefit of the doubt that, you know, maybe teams really uh, and, and players figured out, like, you can't do the interference stuff anymore. So, like, players retired. Some of them who were, folk, like, their games were based on interference and clutching and grabbing. And other players adjusted. So, it makes sense. Two power plays per game gone in one fell swoop over one season. The following season, we were back to pre-lockout numbers. 4.28. Barely above 4.24. The season after that, 4.16. And from that season on, we have never had a season that had as many power plays as the dead puck era. Never. That's insane. That's completely insane. Because remember, the only thing they cracked down on after the lockout in 05-06, that 05-06 season, was interference. So the only thing that should have disappeared going forward was interference penalties, right? As players adjusted. So how then did we get to a point where we're now way lower than the pre-interference crackdown, pre-lockout, dead puck era? It doesn't hold up to scrutiny. It just doesn't. Mm -hmm. So we've got to swing this pendulum back and it's got to happen fast. And I think that we need to be very vocal with the NHL. This kind of stuff has to happen ASAP. Yep, agreed. All right. Oh, that was I know it's very ranty, say, but uh we have to you put were pressure on. So passionate about that, Andrew. I'm so I, oh, I want to love the game. Great, great segment. <laughs> I want to love yes, the game. Yes, I understand. I understand. <laughs> I think I need a built bar to get my energy back up here. And speaking of built bar, I love Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving. I'm Canadian too, but we're closer to American Thanksgiving here. And all the good food and treats and plenty of them. But maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. It's the perfect time for Bilt Bars. Bilt Bar is the new holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories, and that's on the low end. Most Bilt Bars are only 130 calories and only 4 grams of sugar, with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with a coconut Bilt Bar, or go for a raspberry Bilt Bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie. Low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein. Covered in 100% real chocolate, Built is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a Built Bar or two if you're really hungry. Share some at your family gatherings. Maybe it'll make things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a Built Bar yet. Surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at Built.com regularly, so check that site off often. 
There's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off of your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, Mary. So I think we've got one major thing to talk about in our pop culture roulette segment, and that is the new Spider-Man trailer finally dropped. Yep. Woo! And we did it. I know I speak for myself and probably a lot of other people when I say I am very happy that they didn't put the other Spider-Man in the trailer because I don't want to see that in a trailer. I want to see that in a theater. I mean, we we talked about it on Twitter. There's a reason... like. They want you to go see the movie. Yes. This is the reason why you're going to see the movie. They're not going to show you them in the in the trailer. They're gonna they're gonna. That's why they want you to go to the movie. There's they need to have a hook, and that is the hook. And we all know it. We're all playing right into Sony's hands and Marvel's hands. But this is it. This is I like I get it. It sucks waiting another month to have to see all the Spider Men together. But it's gonna be great when when it happens. But that's why they want you to go to the theaters to see. To see this in its full spectacle, a trailer would do it wouldn't do it justice, in my opinion. Now, did you see that people had break broken down the trailer, and there's a moment where you can see that they edited out one of the Spider Men? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, we I, we talked about this off podcast, but Marvel and Sony lie to you in trailers. Yes. They absolutely 100 percent lie to you in trailers. Um, the magic of editing uh, can cut trailers in any way they want it to. Uh, so they're absolutely hiding the other Spider-Man from us, and that's fine. It's we, good. It's good. I feel like yeah, this trailer I, almost gave too much anyway. Like, there was rumors that Doc Ock was not going to be a bad guy in this, and it kind of seems like that's the case. Mm-hmm. Like, he might be more of a mentor, which, personally, I kind of love, because if you... A begrudging mentor? Yeah, like, if you look at the character that they developed in Spider-Man 2 in Sam Raimi's universe... Like, at the end, Doc Ock redeemed himself, right? So it makes sense to bring that into that instead of him suddenly being a bad guy again, right? So I hope that that's partially the case, even though if it was my interpretation of Doc Ock, he would be a villain through and through. But it's is definitely interesting, the dynamic they have at play there. I enjoyed that uh, the friends laughed at his name because, yes. you know, comic book names from back in the day are objectively hilarious, Mm-hmm. And I know, exactly. like, Stanley had a habit of all his names have to alliterate, right? Like, Peter Parker, Otto Octavius, all of them, right? So, mm-hmm. very funny. I'm pretty hyped for this movie. I'm a little bit worried about Marvel's whole schedule here. Like, you see that uh, Multiverse of Madness, the Doctor Strange movie, is going for six weeks of, like, extensive reshoots. And I read that because... Multiverse of Madness was actually supposed to come out before Spider-Man originally, that it leaned heavily on that to develop its own storyline. So that had to go through extensive rewrites while, like before they were filming. So it's uh they're they're juggling a lot of stuff. Like a lot of stuff got messed up due to the pandemic. So Yeah, a lot of it is pandemic yeah, related. It's, and it sucks. It does suck, but I hope that things make sense when they're all put out together. Um I'm still really hyped for this movie, though. And not even so much for the yeah. other Spider-Man. I'm hyped to see how crazy things are going to get. Yeah. I mean, we all know that uh, Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker is going to save MJ as she's falling off the building, right? We all know that that's where that scene was going in a complete, like... It sure felt like you it. You know, yeah, in a complete... Um, Redemption. You know, homage moment, yeah, to, you know, 
Gwen Stacy. So I think I, I will be surprised if that doesn't happen because they were really setting it up uh, for that to be a moment. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to the, you know, dynamics between all of them. I really should rewatch all of the Spider-Man films before then. So we'll see if I get there. It's like I said, it's going to be a it's going to be a busy time. The next month is super busy for me. Uh, but we'll see if, you know, my new free time in being caught up on Final Fantasy 14 gives me time to do like watch other movies and stuff like that. Uh, but I'm excited. I I understand the worry about, you know, where Marvel is going from here. But the pandemic has messed up so much. Yeah. Um, and so far, Marvel hasn't really misstepped in the way Star Wars has with reshoots and stuff. Unless I'm forgetting a major example in, in Marvel's case. But I don't think Marvel has messed up in the same way Star Wars has um, in terms of, you know, delivering on moments and stuff like that yeah i think it, so. it probably depends on who you ask but i know like uh, falcon and winter soldier had to redo almost their entire storyline right because yeah the original storyline was based on a pandemic and they were like uh let's not do that well uh that's i i don't want to say that falcon and lunar soldier and spider-man are two uh in completely different tiers but they're in completely different oh tiers. well i mean anything is different like a tv show versus a movie right it's very different and yeah i mean i don't know how many people were highly anticipating falcon and the winter soldier so many people are highly anticipating the spider oh film. yeah i mean the spider-man film so is I, much bigger yeah so i think the expectations are much much higher than they are for a tv show i get the reshoots happen um especially with the pandemic it's messed up so much i mean it's messed up you know video game timelines completely so which is why next year is going to be absolutely crazy and miserable depending on how many video games uh you want to play there's going to be so many but i don't know i'm I'm intrigued. I really, really am. Uh, I'm looking forward to what Marvel has in store. I mean, I didn't see Eternals. I don't know if I will before um, before Spider Man. I don't think you'll. Uh, need but I liked, to. Like, yeah. But I liked Shang Chi a lot. I really did. Yeah, so I mean, did I. we pra- we both praised that film. Did you see uh, the thread was... on Twitter from the the bus driver? Yes, breaking I down did. the bus scene. That was phenomenal. Yes, yes it was so good. Um, it d- definitely. Uh, find that if you can, because it was a really, really neat insight. It was like a forty-five minute route, wasn't it, or something like that? Like the yeah, the, it was just, pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, but I, I have faith that they're gonna deliver. I mean, I don't have, I don't have expectations, honestly. I mean, I'm obviously expecting the Spider-Man to be there, but other than that, no clue. Um, I'm excited to see what Marvel has in store for us, though, because it's been a while since we've had a movie that connects i mean we've had you know the smaller things um and i mean even like wandavision and loki were smaller scale but still connected in a sense but we haven't had anything driving the plot forward i guess if that makes sense well, i would in say the i'd say loki probably drove the plot kind forward of, pretty significantly kind of but but we're we're now going to see the effects yes. of what Loki has wrought. Yes. So that's, I guess, more what I mean is we're finally going to see. We saw the cause. Yeah, now the we're going Di- to see the, the Disney effects. Plus shows are very much like the setup. And then the movies yes. are now the... We're the, we're the payoff. Yeah. We're in the payoff phase. Um, and it's what? Spider-Man? Because, I mean, like, uh, Shang-Chi and Eternals really didn't have anything to do with the wider MCU. I mean, maybe Eternals more did, but I, I can't speak to that since I have not seen it. But it is... They're more contained in their own you know movies the spider-man is going to be the next moving forward point and then what's after spider-man is it multiverse of madness is that what's next i think so but everything's been delayed so. so i don't think we have anything until like may now 
So it, okay, that's all right. I mean, take time to breathe. It's it's we're gonna be we're gonna be busy at the start of twenty twenty two anyway. So just true. you know, I mean, with the with the Olympics too is like the, is the big thing. That's that's gonna that's gonna catch up to me as the Olympics um, are right in between. Two big video games I want to play. So it is just going to be... February is going to be a busy time. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, glad there's but, no movie that I really need to see coming out during the Olympics because I'm going to be crazy yeah. busy. But it we is, should probably oh, wrap there because we're going a bit long. But I'm excited, yes. I am excited about Spider-Man. Um, it's going to be... I think it's going to be great. I have no real expectations. Just here for a fun time. All right. That's all we have for you today on the Crosscheck NHL show. But before we let you go, thank you for making us your first listen. And make your second listen, Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling.